In the name of God, amen. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. Wonderful to be with you. If you are a guest at Washington National Cathedral, perhaps a guest to this capital city, we welcome you. Thank you for joining us on what is the first Sunday of the season of Advent, which for Christians is the beginning of of a new year. And we are very grateful to be here in this place and that you are joining us. Last, uh, last Wednesday, so Wednesday before Thanksgiving, uh, in the evening, as I was um, doing what I often do at the end of a long day, trying to decide whether to succumb to sleep or to rouse myself sufficiently to read maybe a page in a book before succumbing to sleep, I had on the radio a program that, um, that caused me neither to sleep nor to read but in fact to listen. The program is entitled On Point, and the author, or the interviewer, Tom Ashcroft, hooked me with his lead in sentence, which is this. In these fraught times, he asked his radio audience, including me at that point in my pajamas, after Paris, and now Chicago, ISIS, and all the rest, giving you and me permission to add in any calamity or disaster or source of concern that we would wish. After all of that, where do you look for hope and strength for humanity? Where indeed? His guest that evening was the author Marilyn Robinson who's become a sort of moral philosopher to the nation, author of several novels, a great new book of essays. And when he asked her that question, I could tell immediately by her tone of voice, her manner of speaking, even in the silence before she spoke, that this was not a woman easily shaken. And it occurred to me, even before she uttered her first words, that that's one place I look to for strength and hope in the people in my life and in our world who are not easily shaken. People with grounding and perspective who can distinguish, as she herself writes in an essay about the pervasiveness of fear in our country, those who can distinguish between the real dangers of the world of which there are sufficient to the day, and those who see threats everywhere and who respond irrationally to irrational fears. And I often remind people, she said, that we are in fact a peculiar species with a long history of doing injury to ourselves and to one another. But Just as there is no reason, there was no reason to throw up our hands during the 30 years war, I don't see any reason to do it now. Now, I was a history major in college, but it's probably been since college that I've thought about the 30 years war. So I had to remind myself what it was about and why it would make sense for her to mention it in the context of her remarks for us now. But it turns out 
that she thought about the lessons of the Thirty Years' War for quite some time. It was a time, back in the 17th century, when Europe was awash with religiously inspired violence of a similar brutality that we now associate with radical Islam. And her forebears were French Calvinists, Protestants, brutally slaughtered by other Christians who thought they were doing so in the defense of their faith. Her people were hated, treated as harshly as some might want us to treat those believed to be extremists in our land, and certainly as harshly as those promulgating hatred throughout the world in the name of faith. And her point, I think, is similar to what we heard Jesus just say about distress among nations and people fainting with fear and foreboding about what is coming into the world and the importance of not being easily shaken. He may well have been speaking about a specific time of foreboding that was to come, but hearing his words 2,000 years after his life, one thing they do for us is to remind us that for all of our goodness, our species has always lived under the shadow of what we are capable of doing to one another and that what is best about us always requires our vigilant attention. Or another way of thinking it, if you want a reason to give up on humanity, there was ample reason for doing so before you stepped on the scene. And similarly, if you're looking for a reason to hope, there is always reason for hope. And our hope lies now where it has always been, in human beings like you and me, inspired by grace, who simply refuse to give up on what is best about us. Our hope lies in not succumbing to fear or despair or cynicism about our race, but persevering in hope, dogged hope, in the hardest of times. And for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, our calling now and always is to remain standing when the dominoes around us begin to fall. God never gives up on us. How dare we give up on ourselves? So keep awake, Jesus says. Pay attention. Be among those who love, not only when it's easy, but especially when it costs you something. Who strive to live as if everything I came to teach you and show you by example is actually true that love is stronger than hate, that forgiveness is always the path to take in the face of wrong. Strive not to be easily shaken. Pray for the grace to remain strong. It doesn't matter 
how old or how young you are right now in your life, this is an important moment for you. It's not a time to drown yourself in distractions, to succumb to irrational fear, or to spend your precious life on things that simply do not matter to you. One of my favorite stories to remind myself of this truth is from the writer Anne Lamott. And she tells of this time when she went dress shopping with her best friend, who was dying of cancer at the time, but neither one of them wanted to admit it to themselves. So Anne goes into the dressing room, tries on a dress, walks out of the dressing room, parades it in front of her friend, who's sitting in a wheelchair. And she says, do you think my dress makes me look fat? And her friend looks up at her from the chair and says, Annie, I don't think you have that kind of time anymore. The one advent question for you this month might be, what, what don't you have time for anymore? And what must you make time for now? Because this is an important moment for you, and it's an important moment in the life of our species. We don't really have the luxury of retreating into smaller and smaller realms over which we have some semblance of control. Things are happening, and they're happening on our watch, for which we have responsibility. Yes, we can pray for Jesus to come, and we must. And we can pray for guidance and strength, for resolve and wisdom to discern what must be done. But what we cannot do as those created in the image of God, what we cannot do is shirk our own responsibility because we are always the ones through whom God works and upon whom all that is good ultimately depends. Because if you haven't noticed, there isn't a plan B. When God's grace comes, it comes to us, where we are and through us to one another. When God's light shines, it shines in our darkness and illuminates the path that we are to walk. When forgiveness and mercy prevail, it's because someone like you or me chose forgiveness over vengeance mercy over punishment no matter how well deserved. And when the arc of the universe bends towards justice, it is through the sacrifice of those who choose what is right over what is easy. Everything about our worship today is meant to remind us that we stand at the threshold of a new season of hope and anticipation. We're all waiting for the birth of a child. Yet we begin this season with words that Jesus most likely spoke, that same child 
that he most likely spoke as a grown man just before his death to remind us that sometimes in this life the worst can and does happen, that the skies as we know them can fall, that the world we count on to be the same day after day can change on a dime, and when it does, it actually helps if we're ready. And what we do now helps us get ready. The kind of lives we lead are huge factors in the way we ready, the way we are, the way we spend our money and our time, the way we eat our meals, the way we read a book, the way we greet a stranger affects our capacity to see the beauty of grace and goodness, to take it in and to live by its lights. And only when we do that does the grace of God become real and manifest. Later in the day, the very next service, we are going to be hosting one of the most courageous Christian leaders I have ever met. And... Um, of course, I invite you back if your life allows, but if not, simply go online and listen to his words when your life allows. And pay attention to what this man is saying. His name is the Reverend Robert Shank, and he is an evangelical Christian who spends most of his time in a realm of the Christian spectrum that does not frequently gather at Washington National Cathedral. And because of the religious polarities of our nation, which sadly mirror and reinforce the political chasms which so deeply divide us, it is with some real professional risk that he has accepted our invitation to preach here. And some actually counseled me to be careful, given his past advocacy on issues that we disagree about in welcoming him here. But I have to say that being in conversation with Reverend Shank on matters of faith and the future of our country has given me more hope for the future than I could adequately convey to you in words. He is one who has chosen to remain standing and to, for his own reasons to tell to lovingly challenge the assumptions within his sphere of Christianity regarding the possession and use of guns and the glorification of guns within evangelical Christianity. We need to hear him, to stand by him and ponder what it would look like for us to speak on our spectrum of the church with his humility and conviction. The task is the same in the personal and the private, in the public and the political. Pay attention. Keep awake. Face the very thing you most want to avoid. Let the light of Christ, the hope of Christ, come through you and give you the grace to keep standing. There is always hope. There is always someone else, by the grace of God, standing for you. Look for them. 
and pray for the grace to be among them in our time.